The presenting sponsor of Behind the Beak is Down in Front Productions. DIFP is a video production company located in Birmingham, Alabama that strives to provide high-quality video services for your business or event at very competitive prices with a personal approach. They specialize in sporting events, weddings, and business videography, but also provide recording and video editing work for other events such as seminars, commercials, and concerts. Give Dustin and the crew a call at 205-588-0868 or visit them at difpbham.com. That's D-I-F-P-B-H-A-M.com to see how they can help you. Down in Front Productions, the presenting sponsor of Behind the Beat. Behind the Beat, the official podcast of Jacksonville State Athletics. Now, here's your host, Tyler Brown. Hello, everyone, and welcome into Behind the Beat, the official podcast of Jacksonville State Athletics. I'm Tyler Brown, and this is episode number 27 of the series. I have two guests this week. First, I'll be talking with the commissioner of the Ohio Valley Conference, Beth Bush, and then I'm going to have a conversation with Assistant Commissioner for Strategic Communication, Kyle Schwartz. But first, a few housekeeping notes and some news. If you missed last week's installment, former quarterback and JSU football legend Eli Jenkins relived the Gamecocks' 2015 second-round FCS playoff win over Chattanooga. I think you will really enjoy it, and it includes plenty of clips from Mike Paris's call of the contest. If you want to go give it a listen, all previous episodes of the podcast can be streamed at jsugamecocksports.com podcasts on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. Also online right now, the latest episode of At Home with the Gamecocks, presented by Ford, features former Gamecock track star Erica Mason and former basketball player Christian Cunningham. Hosted by the voice of the Gamecocks, Mike Paris, At Home with the Gamecocks is available now at jsugamecocksports.com. In JSU athletic news, it was announced Monday that the men's basketball team is set to open the 2021 season on the road at Alabama's Coleman Coliseum. It marks the 14th trip to Tuscaloosa and the first meeting between the Gamecocks and the Crimson Tide since 2015. And now for today's featured guests, I caught up with the commissioner of the OVC, Beth DeBush, to discuss the state of athletics since the COVID-19 pandemic began. We talk about how the virus is going to affect things financially, how we can expect to proceed with college athletics when the calendar rolls around, and how the conference is preparing for the season in the new normal. Then I have a conversation with Assistant Commissioner for Strategic Communication, Kyle Schwartz, about changes coming to media days, content creation without sports, and what we can expect from a media standpoint once we get back on the field. Commissioner DeBush will bat leadoff, and Kyle Schwartz is on deck. Join me on the podcast this week, my first guest, OBC Commissioner Beth DeBush. And Beth, thanks so much for coming on with me this week. Well, it's certainly my pleasure. It's good to see you again and talk with you again, Tyler. And it's fun to talk about what's going on in the league right now because it's important that people just get a sense of where we are. And it and it's a ton. And it's it's a lot of stuff that we've never seen. I know it's something that you've never really seen. And so it's it's uh, you know some uncharted waters that we're trying to navigate. A little bit about you. When you were hired by the OVC, you were just the fourth female commissioner in the NCAA uh, Division One, 
you currently serve as the president of the Division One Collegiate Commissioners Association, the uh, CCA, and I know that you're extremely busy, and now COVID-19 has hit. Tell me what your day-to-day has been like, and if you want to, we can start by saying here's what it was like before the virus hit, and now here's how it's kind of evolved. Well, similar to so many people listening, uh, our new normal is something that is even hard to describe. Days have always been busy, and the wonderful thing about being in my role and similar to yours, working around college athletics, no day ever looked the same, and we came to work every day fresh to experience what was going to happen working with our student-athletes. Now, since the pandemic separation, uh, work looks very different, and it's even more busy than it was before. but we're working so very hard to try to figure this out. And in all candor, there are as many questions as there are answers right now. As we work through this, you wanna make sure that you don't make some decisions too early because we just don't have the requisite amount of facts, but we also need to have answers for institutions and student athletes so they know what to anticipate. So a typical day right now spends A lot of time involved with Zoom calls uh, or Zoom meetings, uh, conference calls, talking with people nationally, talking with the NCAA, talking with other commissioners, and then certainly a great deal of conversation with the OBC membership, especially at the president's and the athletics director level. It seems like we have multiple calls a week just to check in, see what the status of things are, how things have changed. What's been fascinating about this, and you reminded me that at our basketball tournament, we talked about the potential of what the pandemic would mean to the league. And that seems like it was years ago that we had that conversation and it's only three months. This has just evolved so quickly and perspectives have changed so much that what seemed like a logical issue to deal with two months ago or a logical answer doesn't seem like the issue that we need to be addressing right now, given the pace that this is moving. So the level of communication nationally and within the conference is absolutely critical, even though um, there might be not as much work product to show for it, that the background work is absolutely critical to get us to the point to make some of the big decisions that are going to have to be made over the next couple of weeks. We were very lucky as a conference to be able to get our tournament in. We're normally one of the first tournaments, basketball tournaments, to finish up. And whenever I sat down with you, it was before one of our games, I I think I said, you know, is this virus, is this something serious enough that it may have affected the tournament and how it will affect things moving forward? And you said, oh, definitely. We've had meetings about this and we've had discussions. And I know there were some preparations that the OBC made going into that tournament when it didn't seem so very serious at the time. It hadn't really affected our part of the country. And then it was a week later that we put everything on hold and eventually everything in the spring was canceled. And so first, tell me about the preparations that were made going into that tournament and how did it help us then? And then moving forward, who could have foreseen what would happen to the rest of spring sports? Well, About two weeks prior to our basketball tournament, I went back and started looking at our old medical policies. And at the time, 
it felt like I was being alarmist. Uh, in fact, stayed home from the track championship because I wanted to spend some time working with some of our medical professionals to make sure that our medical policies uh, were up to speed and what we needed to do. The policy itself, as we updated it, I think was a very good policy and will serve the conference well moving forward. Given the scope and magnitude of this pandemic though, no policy is equipped to handle all the various issues that come with that pandemic. So while we thought through the issues, I, I will share with you, I don't think any of us at the time appreciated the full scope of what this meant. We were apprehensive going into our basketball tournament to the extent uh, were some of the tournaments across the nation going to be able to be played? But I think we felt comfortable, given the timing and where we were in the United States at that point in time, that we were going to play, be able to play our tournament. Uh, we certainly were cautious, spent a good bit of time talking with our membership while we were there, or just about what the pandemic meant. But again, I, in full disclosure, I don't think we realized how fast things were going to move after our tournament was over. Um, while we were at our tournament, we did receive information that um, the state of Indiana had asked us to, um, to make sure that the venue was cleaned and hand whales were wiped and, and we were doing all the necessary health precautions, um, obviously, at the event. Uh, I felt very grateful and happy when the tournament was over, pleased with how well the tournament had gone and what a good job the staff had done and somewhat relieved that we were able to get the, the tournament in without a hitch. Um, by the time we got back to uh, Nashville two days later and the next work week started, you realized how quickly this was going to move. I um, called together the CCA just for a casual conversation or the Commissioner's Association just for a casual conversation that week. And by the time we really were in the process of finishing that conversation. We learned more and more just about what was coming um, down the pike. In my role as a commissioner, separate from the, the health issues, we're certainly glad that our student athletes got to experience a championship and the satisfaction of, of just having that success and participating. You feel bad for the student athletes who had games called during the middle of play or didn't get to at least com complete the championship. Um, you know, certainly now looking back on it, people made the right decisions and, and um, you know, we ended up doing what everybody needed to do that week, but I've never seen anything move that quickly uh, nationally. Um, what I can share and what's probably interesting to people from an OBC perspective is the Ohio Valley Conference has long been led by presidents and chancellors and the presidents and chancellors of the OBC did an absolutely tremendous job of coming together and trying to be thoughtful through the issues. Again, similar to what I'm describing, they didn't have uh, you, know, you know, the full appreciation of what that week was gonna hold. And we had numerous conference calls across that week trying to identify the, the correct response to all of us. So eventually you saw a, a, a suspension, then finally the termination. But what a thoughtful group of people that didn't want to create a knee-jerk reaction, wanted to make sure our student athletes were really kept in a safe environment, but if possible, allowed to stay and, and compete. So just a, a really great group of presidents and chancellors that gave us time 
and thought and have continued since that decision to be very, very generous with their time and thought. Um, the athletics directors have well have been really engaged in the thought process of what we need to do in terms of being forward looking. So I feel really good that while this is all new and we're all having to figure out what this needs to look like moving forward, we have a really terrific group of people working with us and, and really being a team as we try to ch chart the future for what intercollegiate athletics will look like uh, during this pandemic. Speaking to the future, if you're a fan of college athletics, you know that right now there should be a lot of us in Omaha for the College World Series. And unfortunately, that, that was one of the victims of the cancellations. And probably the biggest one was the NCAA basketball tournament. And I know that obviously that's important for fans because that's one of our biggest events of the year, if not the biggest event of the year in college athletics, but also for conferences it's huge for them because that's where, just like the OVC, gets a lot of their revenue from, from the revenue shares of the NCAA tournament. And so if you would, speak to how the cancellation of the tournament has affected revenue shares and how conferences and schools around the nation are going to really take a hit from that and how that's going to affect things such as scheduling when it comes to the upcoming season. And it's, I'm, I'm sure it's Obviously, it's not all basketball that gets affected, too. It's sports across the board. The NCAA men's basketball tournament really, and it isn't well appreciated, really does a great deal to some support the enterprise of intercollegiate athletics. The men's basketball tournament uh, is the primary revenue source for the association, which in turn, they distribute back to the membership uh, both the conferences and the member institutions. Uh, without boring you too much with all the details, there are a, a variety of different funds from the NCA that they provide to either the conference or the member institution, or in some case, both. Some of the distributions stem from how many sports you sponsor, some stem from how many scholarships you offer. One of those funds is as a result of how much success you've had in the men's basketball tournament. A lot of times on TV, what you hear people talking about is the men's basketball revenue distribution fund. But again, that's just one of the many funds that's out there. The NCA national office leadership, to its credit, appreciated how reliant the conferences are, how reliant the member institutions are on that revenue distribution. So we experienced as an association a 66% cut in our normal ability to distribute funds. The NCA has worked very hard, though, to make sure that they were able to give us somewhere it was just slightly less than 40% of that amount of money back to the member institutions and conferences. They were mindful in their approach that for the vast majority of conferences, we do need that money to operate. And they were cognizant of the fact that a large number of institutions in the NCA and even in Division I need this money in which to support intercollegiate athletics. So they uh, gave conferences this year the money to distribute as the conferences saw fit to be able to meet the most immediate needs. In the case of the Ohio Valley Conference, we followed the normal pattern that the NCA uses to distribute funds. So if Jacksonville State 
received X number of dollars for scholarships, we applied that same formula, just at a lesser degree. But with all of that being said, an institution probably received about 35% of the revenue it typically receives from the NCAA. Certainly as a conference, we've tried to be thoughtful and try to help give um, distributions back at a conference level as well. Certainly we don't have the same coffers anywhere near to be able to help the institutions. So what I think is really important for all of us is we have gone through at the conference level, at the NCA level, at the institutional level, um, belt tightening measures to look at our budgets to make sure we're being really prudent in our approach to sponsoring intercollegiate athletics and that we're forward looking in this because we know this year it's going to be very, very, very tight in what we do. The other issue that we all need to be mindful of is that enrollment plays uh, an important factor in funding intercollegiate athletics and enrollment this year may look different. So that's a long-winded answer to say, we need to be very cautious and fiscally prudent in operating our intercollegiate athletics programs so we can get to the other side of this year. So in the case of the Ohio Valley Conference, we have spent about two months working with our athletics directors, trying to find cost-saving measures that still allow our student athletes to compete and to make sure that we don't have to drop any sports. So our ADs have been really thoughtful to say, where can we save money, but still make sure every student athlete, regardless of sport, can compete and that they have that opportunity and that we don't see any sports being dropped as we have seen in other places across the nation. So, you know, different, you'll see different changes throughout the year. But I think people just need to be mindful. These are temporary measures to get us through to the other side. And um, I'm really proud of our leadership and just the vision of the OVC to say we care about our student athletes and we're going to do our best to make sure they get an opportunity to do the thing that they really love and that's to play sport. So it may not look quite the same, but it's still going to be there, assuming that the health situation allows us. And, and, and that's a good thing to know. You mentioned the student athletes a lot, and that's the main focus of the OVC is the student athlete experience. And we're trying our best to make sure that that doesn't suffer at all. If the student athletes get the same championship experience that they have in the past. Moving forward, and I know there's a lot of uncertainty and not to speculate too much, but what are some things that you can see moving forward that may change that are very real, such as uh, scheduling of opponents and maybe the way that championships will be structured from here on out, or at least for this year, for the OBC? So this year, what we know is um, our championships field will be slightly smaller. That has been... Uh, work through our governance process. Uh, the presidents have said they'd like a little bit of time though to consider that issue to make sure that it's the appropriate answer for the circumstances at that point in time. So what that means is right now, we know there'll be a slight reduction. There may be an additional reduction to field size, but we don't know that for certain. I think the presidents are really trying to make sure that we have as many facts as we can before we have to make a final determination. Uh, our ADs have said that, you know, these student athletes have accomplished a whole lot by being able to compete in championships and just in their own personal performance. So I wanted to make sure we still give awards. Um, some of the niceties of having a banquet, the NCA or not having banquets associated with 
championships. We are not having banquets this year as well. From a scheduling standpoint, right now, um, I don't think you'll see major changes at the OVC level because we have the benefit of traveling predominantly by bus. Now, again, that could change if something with the, the health state of the United States, if the numbers really ramp up or we really need to stay more local. But right now, there seems to be a sincere focus on the conference aspect of regular season and trying to protect as much as we can of the conference season to allow these student athletes to play as many games as they possibly can. So um, as I shared with our staff today, uh, what makes sense um, in the middle of June, we'll certainly continue to look at these issues. May look different by the time we get to July, um, but we'll be ready for any contingencies. But right now, I think we're really blessed that that we have a pretty tight footprint for the league, so you don't see a lot of dramatic changes. Um, where we tried to find cuts is we're not having in-person meetings anymore this year. That impacts our administrators, but it doesn't hurt the students. We won't do as much professional productions for ESPN, again, it, it has more of an impact administratively than it does on the students. So that lens has been consistent throughout that we want to play and we want these students to have the opportunity to play, albeit looking just a little bit different this year. And then lastly, on a personal level, how are you and your family? Have you guys been healthy? I know that your parents uh, I've met them before at the tennis championships. They yeah. come into town to watch OVC action. How's everyone uh, at in your household? Well, you're kind to ask, and we have all been fortunate and blessed. And in fact, I um, had an opportunity just as a grown woman to spend more time with my parents as they uh, got, had an opportunity or got stuck in Nashville on their way traveling after our basketball tournament. But it was lovely how often as an adult do you get to spend time with your parents in, in that way. And so that was very, very nice. And I certainly hope your family is, is healthy as well. Our OVC family is is healthy from a staff standpoint and that's good and certainly that's the lens at which we'll look at all of these student decisions is what keeps people in the most healthy environment possible i'm, I'm gonna just diverge a little bit if you don't mind we have put together a group of doctors and athletics trainers and emergency uh management specialists to help work on some policy issues as our institutions have and that makes me feel good too that we're really looking at things from from a health standpoint during this time. And you know, the thing, and this is for all, all the, the negatives that have come with this, there's some been some positive things that have come with this. And you know, within the OVC and even doing things like this, we found a way to, you know, rely on one another, lean on one another, um, communicate a great deal with one another. And, and so that's really, it shows how much in this league people mean to one another and just how we use the phrase OVC family. It really is one. Well, Commissioner DeBush, thank you so much for coming on with me today. I know you're very busy, and I appreciate you uh, visiting with me and giving us some uh, fantastic information. I think that our fans need to know, and it's probably something they've had on their mind, and I think this, uh, this was a great opportunity to do that. Oh, it's my pleasure, and you're always, uh, you're always so gracious and kind when I come visit in, in this podcast as well, so thank you. My second guest today is the Assistant Commissioner for Strategic Communications at the Ohio Valley Conference, Kyle Schwartz. And Kyle, uh, best league SID I have ever worked with. Welcome to Behind the Beak. Well, I appreciate that, Tyler. I can get a little trophy for my uh, desk and uh, put that on there. I, 
I uh, love working with everybody in, in, in our league and I uh, appreciate you having me on. It's always tough to follow my boss, but uh, hopefully I'll do a good <laughs> We'll go in depth a little bit more. Your position as the uh, director for strategic communications, I would assume that there's a lot of fans that they've heard the term SID that might not know exactly what our position does. And then if you jump on up to the uh, league level, you might say, well, I didn't know the league had an SID, but Kyle, you are who sends out the weekly releases for the OVC. You and Heather Brown, you're the ones that generate the content for the OVC website. Statistics, all of that stuff flows through you and Heather. And just like I was talking about, best league SID I've ever worked with, you have stats and the new weekly release out every Thursday night and Saturday night right after basketball games. The email might come in at 1 a.m., but all of us SIDs are still awake, getting our game notes ready for that Saturday game or the next Thursday's game. And uh, I really greatly appreciate that. But tell me what your job is like and what you do on an everyday basis. And then, just like with how I asked Beth, how has that changed with COVID-19? Well, I've been in the profession for about 20 years, and I still use the term SID because that's what, how I grew up, sports information director. But, you know, in 20 years, uh, our jobs really changed a lot. We didn't, when I first started, we had, it was the first or second year we had a website, which is unbelievable. We didn't have a website and we didn't have social media until, you know, 2009 or 10, that area. Um, so just in the second half of my career, how much that's changed. But I went for strategic communications because, I mean, what we do is communicate. So I am a liaison for, for like all the school uh, media relations people, uh, all our 12 institutions. Uh, then, you know, media relations is a term we used to have in our job title because if media needs something, they're, they're contacting me. Not as much as, you know, a daily basis that our schools get, uh, but it's also the press releases. It's the website. It's, it's social media. It's if we're doing a, a podcast or a video or something like that, sort of uh, oversee that for us. So that in a nutshell is why we kind of picked strategic communications because it's a bunch of different ways. And at the same time, you know, media has changed in 20 years. Not everybody has a beat writer anymore. Uh, not everybody has uh, a TV station covering them. So our schools are their own TV stations and their own beat writers. And so the job has been more, has now been more strategic in that every school has a chance to tell their story. So just, I'm just sort of part of that, you know, and then there's not a nine to five in the job when during the season, when there's games, it's you're up late working and, you know, maybe you're sending something out after a basketball game. Uh, this time during, during COVID-19 though, it's definitely uh, been more, 8.30 to, to 4.30 kind of thing, because there are no games at night. And so I've been working at home since, you know, the second week of March. And um, we mentioned that we bought a new house in the summer and it's got a dedicated office, which is tremendous because I come in here and I can really get work done if I'm sitting in here. If I'm sitting in the other room with my five-year-old son, he's watching cartoons or playing Legos and I, I could get nothing done. So I come in here and the, the job hasn't really changed. We found more ways to create some content, but uh, it's been different. I definitely have missed uh, my coworkers, but you know, you can't really get that personal interaction on a Zoom meeting. And a lot of the things that you mentioned, the things that we can kind of unpack, and one of the things that you talked about just now, and something that Beth mentioned just a few moments ago in our interview was um, ESPN and broadcasting. You talked about how at this point where we're at, Schools have kind of become their own television station, and that happens with our ESPN broadcast. Um, the Jacksonville State ESPN Plus broadcasts 
are done by the sports information department, largely in part to student workers that we have. And we're very lucky to have that many student workers that can jump on a on a camera. Sam Palmer, who's fantastic, you know, he he runs the replay machine, sometimes directs, and the IFP helps us out a lot with that down in front productions. And so now moving forward with the coronavirus pandemic, Tupelo Raycom, who would come in and normally do our game of the week, can we expect to see that game of the week possibly turn into the in-house productions of each individual university taking the weight of that? I do think we, uh, you will see us kind of going away from those outside production firms for that this year, um, really a financial um, decision. And he talked a little bit of that with the commissioner about uh, some of that uh, windfall money uh, that we don't have. Um, so we might reallocate, we'll find a way to make up that gap and, and do things. I, I don't know if there'll be a typical game of the week. We may not call it this year, but they're definitely, you know, ways to maybe make the ESPN3 broadcast even better than what they have been and, and maybe incorporate some of the elements we did uh, for that game a week into some of our school broadcasts. But you're, what you mentioned, I don't think every fan knows because you know, I'll see people on social media thinking, why is this broadcast like this? Like, I think they think every football game, there's a per- outside production crew that comes in with that's neutral, everything, and that's just not how it is. Our schools are amazing. Uh, when we, we started the OVC, actually started OVC, sports.tv back in 2006 and that was a paid a pay-per-view model then we moved to ovc digital network which we made it free um just so people could watch it and then now we have the the espn plus partnership which uh every step along the way you get a little bit more nervous it's better and there's more that goes into it are we going to be able to do it and i I think really the espn plus has has been tremendous for our fans uh, to see our games and this costs 4.95 a month or if you bundle that, maybe it's a little bit less, but um, you get a lot of other content that's just not OBC content. So just look for our schools to keep doing that tremendous job this year and, and working through those broadcasts. And, and also, you know, thinking about ways doing the broadcast safely and with all the equipment and something, you know, they're in close quarters with people, um, you know, figuring out ways to, to do that. You mentioned content as well, how universities have tried to, without games going on, they've found ways to, put out new content at Jacksonville State. We were able to do some uh, feature stories. We were able to do At Home with the Gamecocks, which is now going on, you know, nearly 30 episodes, and we've continued with the podcast, and I've been able to continue doing Behind the Beak via Zoom, just like we're doing here today, so that I've not had to really sit face-to-face with a lot of people since the pandemic started. What have you seen across the board from other universities as far as the content that has been generated from the OVC, how you guys have generated content and you've kept your social media feeds and your website fresh? I think that first, maybe that, you know, the second week of March, the first week everybody's working from home, nobody knew what was going on and like, what are we going to do? And then people just started copying, oh, this, this person's doing this. And what was great is everybody had a fresh approach to it and whether it was, there were no games to report on. So whether it was a flashback feature, uh, if it was a podcast, if it was just, um, digging up things that happened on that date in history. So like a lot, you know, we, did, we didn't have the tennis championship. So let's go find what happened to last year's tennis championship or another. You all did a great job with your bracket at division one uh, moments and a couple of schools. Like, everybody loves March Madness. The bracket's the best thing. So capitalizing on that, we did a bracket when there was none this year. Um, it was kind of cool. We started a thing called this is the OVC. And so every Friday we try to take the content that the schools have made over those past um, the past five days or, or six days and take the best and highlight that in one post on our website and then tweet and, and share on social media so that everybody's getting more clicks. Cause 
you know, at the end of the day, people probably had less clicks on their website and less people going because there weren't games and that has sponsor implications and, and, and things. So I know everybody was trying to, to get their things viewed. So that's something that we started at. We're going to continue because it's not a lot of work and it just amplifies the message of all of our schools. But I really think all of our schools did a, a really good job of finding ways to their time, which they had a lot of, uh, and getting their message out and also get ahead. We worked ahead and did things for the fall that I'd normally be doing now because when we get to August or September, we don't know what that's going to look like. And it could be, you know, close to what normal used to be, but we might have to shift and totally change what we're doing and, and drop everything. So I've worked ahead and worked out all these things for football, thinking it's going to be as it is and, and hoping that that's how it will be. When it comes to content, was there anything better than UT Martin's flashback video with Ryan Rickman uh, hitting a home run and Alex Bogus making that big putt, thinking back to how much they miss sports? I think that might have been my my favorite short of the entire uh, pandemic. I, I laughed out loud. I enjoyed it. It got sent to me a couple of times. I hadn't seen it right off the bat. And um, people having fun. People that aren't normally in front of the camera, like, we'll go get in front of the camera and, and, and do something for us. So, um, I, I was last week was the virtual COSIDA um, convention for the sports information uh, communication um, directors. And I heard somebody say that you had to kind of balance, like, you can't be all serious all the time. You had to find some stuff mm-hmm. to give your fans out there that uh, to, to brighten their day too. And I think a lot of our schools did that. Moving forward, obviously you are who plans OVC football media day, OVC basketball media day, you and Heather uh, partner on basketball media day this year. Both of those will be online. Uh, we won't be meeting in Nashville. We won't be meeting in Evansville for those annual events. And so if you will take me through that and how, we can expect to see Media Day operate. A lot of fans in our region, they also pay attention to SEC Media Day in Hoover, and that's going to change a lot, I believe, this year as well. But as for the OVC, we will be doing a lot of stuff, I would imagine, via either Zoom, Skype, one of those video services, and that's how the media is going to be able to get to our coaches and athletes. I've always heard from our, our communications people and, and, and our media, there's nothing better than going somewhere and sitting across the room from a coach. If you're new to the league, a new reporter, and, and you get to sit across, across from John Gross and ask him questions, he knows your name, nothing can substitute that. And back in, in like 2008, 2009, when the economy had a little bit of a downswing there, we, we went away from media days for two years and, and we did teleconferences and they were effective for the point, but you lost that one-on-one. So you know, we're back to where we are there. We're going to do something virtually and then have a chat room where, you know, reporters can go in and they can ask the coach the question and ask a student athlete some questions. It won't be the same as being in the same room, but we're hoping to at least service their needs and, and give them something they can um, use to, to preview. We're going to, you know, record some uh, some sessions and and because, you know, it's more than a media day. It's, it's stuff for our fans too. So we're going to try to do some one-on-one interviews they were coached and then release them, you know, the weeks from – um, July 20th up until the start of the season. And, and just, so we'll cover our fans, we'll cover our media, preview our teams and um, try the best we can. And really you kind of learn. So football will learn and then going into the basketball, we'll uh, kind of adjust some of those things. You have a lot more co- 24 coaches when you count men's and women's for basketball. So we'll learn some things and then try to help them get their message out when we come uh, sometime in October. I'm, I'm a little heartbroken this weekend that the uh, Geico 500 is at Talladega. I normally go and help out in the media center there, and that's that's something I enjoy doing, and I'm not going to get to do it this year. 
as uh, NASCAR is not letting many outsiders come in and uh, work unless you're associated directly with NASCAR or a team. And I know a lot of teams have their PR directors uh, sitting at home on a computer doing all of their stuff that they'd normally be doing from the track. But with that being said, there's a lot of sports that are beginning to open back up. Just like in the case with Talladega, I think there's about 5,000 people that they're allowing in the stands this week. Last week's race at Miami Homestead was the first that uh, had fans at it. And so we're beginning to see a trend of more people kind of showing up to and being allowed to enter these sporting events. Hopefully Major League Baseball will find an agreement at some point, and we might have baseball at some point this summer. And looking toward college athletics with possibly getting fans in the stands by the time football season rolls around without speculating too much. What do you think that we'll be seeing as far as media in the press box and coverage and things like that when football season rolls around? We've had a couple of brief conversations with the schools about what, what they're talking about. And obviously it's going to start with like whatever their state restrictions are, but then it'll go down to the camp, the camp, the university restrictions will trump anything that athletics comes up with. And, um, you know, I think spacing people out, obviously, I know a couple of schools have thought about, well, the press box, we can't use it like we used to. So maybe a couple of people will be there and a couple of people are going to have to be somewhere else or maybe there's not a good view of the stands or maybe they'll have to go out and sit in the stands away from everybody kind of thing. So I don't know how it will look in September versus how it might look, you know, in, in November, maybe we're going to progress and, and have more, um, I think everybody will be able to adjust. I think they'll understand that this is just what we have to do to get sports back. And I, I think everybody is obviously on the page that we want to play games and but we want to do it as, as healthy and as safe as possible. And that means changing the things we're used to normally do. And crowded press boxes uh, just probably can't be a thing like they used to be. Kyle, for you, you, you live in Nashville. You're a big country music fan. You somewhat like the Dave Matthews Band. How has this affected you personally, not having uh, concerts and stuff to go to? I know that's 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 right up your avenue. We lost a bunch of concerts that uh, some of them got rescheduled for 2021 already, and I just kept my tickets, and we'll hope it is. The, the CMA Fest, which is huge here in Nashville, I read it's the number one tourist event all year in Nashville. It's more than, I mean, they sell like 70,000 tickets, but more over 100,000 people just come to do all the other stuff during the day that, um, didn't have that. So that's disappointing for the city because that has a long lasting impact. We just kept it. They said you can just keep the tickets for next year. So we did. Um, we actually did, though, this past weekend, there was a country artist um, that did a drive up show. Um, it was actually, it was just, it got sponsored at the Holiday Inn uh, Vanderbilt where we've had our media days at some point. You drove up in the parking lot and you could stay in your car or they had an area you could actually get out and social distance from people. And he stood in on a alleged, uh, connected to like the restaurant there and he played way away from people. Uh, it was about 45 minutes. And so, uh, my wife and son and then Heather Brown from our staff, we went and uh, put on normal clothes, real clothes, not a last <laughs> and went out and we heard music and, and it was, it was nice. So it, it felt like maybe a small first step that hopefully by next summer, then, you know, you could pack 70,000 people into a stadium, but, uh, it was give us a little bit of this, something that uh, was taken away. There've been a lot of artists do things, you know, virtually and, and show things online. So I think just like athletics is trying to reach out to their fans, the, the music artists have done a lot of things to try to reach out and, and give uh, fans who are definitely missing live music something to something. 
I said a, a little bit. You, you, I know you enjoy the Dave Matthews Band a lot, so I'm not going to uh, short you on that. You're you're a big fan of them, and I, I, Kyle, again, I appreciate you coming on today. I appreciate you reaching out to Commissioner Beth DeBush and getting her on the podcast today. I greatly appreciate the two of you coming on, talking about the state of athletics and where we're at right now and kind of how things are going to be moving forward. Well, thanks, Tyler, for having us. Uh, I enjoy listening. I've listened to almost every episode you've done, so there's been uh, some good ones, and I know uh, the JSU fan base appreciates that too. That'll do it for this week's edition of Behind the Beak. I hope that you and yours are healthy, and I will talk to you again next week. I'll be back Tuesday with a brand new episode and another guest. With that, I'm Tyler Brown saying thank you for listening, and go Gamecocks. This has been Behind the Beak, the official podcast of Jacksonville State Athletics. Look for new episodes each week or browse the archives on the Apple Podcast app or by visiting jsugamecocksports.com. For more on Jacksonville State Athletics, visit the official website of the Gamecocks, jsugamecocksports.com, and follow JSU on social media by searching at JSU Gamecocks on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.